You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. We're currently in a sermon series through uh, what is referred to as Jesus' farewell discourse. We've come to the last 24 hours of Jesus' life before he'll be hung on a cross for our sins and for the salvation of his people. And so we've come to this final moment where he's with his disciples and we've been looking at John 13, John 14. We're gonna continue to look today at John 15 and John 16 in the days ahead. But last week, as we came to the end of John chapter 14, Jesus makes this statement when he says in verse 31, rise, let us go from here. This marks a transition in Jesus' farewell discourse. So we know they've been in this upper room together and John in his writings marks a transition in this farewell discourse by Jesus saying, rise and let us go from here. There's a couple of interpretations of this idea of Jesus saying, rise, let us go from here, is that they actually got up and they left the upper room and they were headed to the garden of Gethsemane and the rest of this, John 15, 16, even 17, is Jesus on the way to the garden of Gethsemane where eventually he'll be arrested and betrayed and, and all that and then we'll begin that uh, uh, heading to the cross for us. And so there's that translation or it is like what happens in my wife's family because there's six kids in my wife's family and when we say, rise, let us go from here, about an hour later, you know what I'm saying, we find finally actually go from there. And so it could be that this is what's going on is Jesus is sort of transitioning by saying, rise, let us go from here. And they stand around and talk some more and he prays with them and then they go. Or that he actually, they get up in this moment like my family with two older brothers. When we say we're gone, we're out, right? Like it's time to go, no, no long goodbyes. And so this is where I would tend to lead, lean towards in my understanding of the text is that they're actually in transition. It's gonna make sense when you read John 15 and Jesus talking about the vine and the branches that he would be having this conversation as visually they're around vines and branches. Visually as there is farmers, as there is vine, excuse me, dressers around, it would make sense that Jesus is using this analogy. And so I want you to stand with me and I'm gonna read the section of scripture that we're gonna look at, John chapter 15. In verses 1 through 17. So whether Jesus and the disciples are sitting in the upper room together and they're transitioning here, John is really making it clear that we're moving from what Jesus has been talking about to this idea of Jesus inviting us to participate in his life, inviting his disciples to be a part of his life. So there's two presuppositions that I want to bring to the text before we read it together 
because I think it's important for us to understand these so that we read it in context. The first thing that I want you to understand as we read this section of scripture is that the focus of John 15, one through 17 is the vine dresser, which is God, and the vine, which is Jesus, not necessarily the branches. A lot of times we can take this section of scripture and we focus on the fruit and the branches. We make it me-centered rather than God-centered. And so we read the text through this looking for me rather than looking for God. And he starts very clearly and says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. So right out of the gate, he says, the focus of this section is on me and my father. And so I want us to read it today through that lens. The second lens or the second presupposition that we bring today is that this text is not talking about how to start a relationship with God. This text is talking from a relationship with God that has already been started. So that's really important when you read it, that you see that this is not Jesus saying, this is how we're gonna make this relationship start. If you wanna have a relationship with me, this is how it works. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, and I'll point this out as we go through the, the, the reading of scripture and the studying of it, but Jesus is actually saying, our relationship has already started. This is how our relationship is gonna work after I'm gone. Because remember, through, repeatedly throughout this time, he said, I'm going away, I'm going away. And so we read it with those two lenses. Let's read it with the lens of, this is all about God and Jesus, the vine and the vine dresser. And then let's also read it with the lens of, this is for those who have a relationship with God already. So if you read it like you have to start a relationship with this God this way, then you're talking about religion. They've already have a relationship with God. And Jesus is just saying, this is how this relationship's gonna work best once I'm gone. So let's come to the heart of God. Let's put our ear close to his heart and listen to what he is saying as he talks to his disciples here. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is, is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I commanded you so that you will love one another. Father, thank you for your word. And as we draw near to your heart today and we put our ear close to hear your heartbeat, I pray that this text that is in many ways really familiar with a lot of people, I think is probably the most popular section of the farewell discourse. I pray that we would be able, Lord, to hear your heart in your word today. I pray that we would be able to see how it is focused on you and how you are helping those closest to you to understand how life works with you, with being a follower of you. And so I pray that you would draw our hearts to your heart today as we spend time in your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Jesus begins this transition to this new section by saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Jesus is giving his seventh and final I am statement. If you remember that the book of John, Jesus gives seven I am statements. And by saying I am, Jesus was claiming to be God. He said before Abraham was, I am, and it's taking us all the way back to our Exodus study in Exodus chapter three, when Moses asked, who do you say that God is? And God, is, God says to Moses, say, I am who I am. And so when Jesus comes on the scene in the book of John, he takes this I am statement and he gives the disciples and he gives us seven I am statements that are referring to him as God. So he makes statements like this, I am the bread of life in John six. In John chapter eight, he says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the door of the, shep or the, door of the sheep. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, just a little earlier, Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And one more time in John chapter 15 and verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now for us, when we hear Jesus say, I am the true vine, it is one of those texts that sort of is like, okay, he is the vine. But for the disciples, this was a really big deal that Jesus would say, I am the true vine. Fine, because it took them back to their heritage. They came from the children of Israel, the Jewish people. And in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were referred to as the vine or the vineyard. So let me give you one illustration of that. In Isaiah chapter five, God is talking about the children of Israel. And he says, let me sing for my beloved 
my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard. That's referring to the children of Israel, the Jewish people, on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. And he built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield wild grapes. So Jesus, God is talking here about the fact that the children of Israel, the Jewish people are his vineyard and he's planted them so that they would bring forth fruit. They would bring forth grapes, but it says that they yielded wild grapes. So they didn't produce good fruit. And so when Jesus comes on the scene here in John chapter 15 and verse one, and he says, I am the true vine, he is saying to these men and to us that the path to God no longer goes through the nation of Israel. The path to God now goes through me because I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. He's the one that takes care of the vine. So he's starting with this point. And they would have made the connection that, oh, he is saying he's replacing the children of Israel. And now the path to God is not through the children of Israel. Now the path to God is through Jesus. Just like he had said earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the focus then of the rest of the text is this idea that Jesus is the vine and his Father is the vine dresser. Let me ask you these questions. How do you know if a vegetable garden is a vegetable garden? By its fruit. By the vegetables, this is not trick questions, okay? So I'm not, you can answer out loud. By the vegetables it produces, right? How do you know if an apple orchard is an apple orchard? By the apples it produces. How do you know if a Christian is a Christian? by the fruit that they produce in their lives. And I think this is true of how it works in agriculture and it's also true of how it works in our lives. But I don't believe that this is the point that Jesus is trying to make in the text. I think Jesus is taking a step further back in this process and he's saying, if you want to know what it, where the vegetables come from or where the apples come from or where the fruit comes, you have to see who they're connected to. You see, the vegetables come from their connection to the vine that produces vegetables. The branches of the apple tree produce apples because of their connection to the apple tree. The fruit of the branches of our lives comes through our connection to Christ, to the vine. This is the point he is making. So Jesus is not in this moment being a fruit inspector. I think sometimes we like to twist this text to Jesus being a fruit inspector here. Jesus' assumption in the text is that if you're a follower of him, you're gonna bear fruit because you're connected to him. And so that's the assumption of the text. And so what he's telling his disciples is, it's really important that you're connected to me. All right. This is the heart of Jesus behind this 
text. Because some of us want to take this text and we want to twist it and, and we want to listen today for the person sitting next to us who's not bearing fruit in their life. And we want to be fruit inspectors on them. And is, is there a place in the Christian life for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to see sin in each other's life and call that out? Yes, I think there's a place in the context of relationship for that. But sometimes I think we move into this being fruit inspectors and that's not what God has called us to do. And in this moment, that's not what he is doing. He's saying the assumption is you're going to produce fruit, but it really begins with your connection to me. So I want to give you my two main points, and then I'm going to come to the text and, and Lord willing, help you understand these two main points. The thing that I think Christ is after in this text for us today is this, a fruitful Christian life comes through dependence. Yes. A fruitful Christian life comes through dependence. I think that's the heart of the text the focus is not necessarily on the branches and what's the throwing away of the branches and all this kind of stuff. The, the point that Jesus is making is that a fruitful Christian life comes through dependence on him. And then the second point is that this dependence leads to joy. So a, cr a fruitful Christian life comes through dependence. And then we're gonna see in the text that this dependence on Christ leads to joy in our life. So let's look first at this idea that a fruitful Christian life comes from dependence. How does dependence come in our life? Look at verse two. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Why would say that the heart of Jesus behind this text is this, our connection to him is because even in John's translation of what Jesus said, when he uses the word take away here, that is not an agricultural term. So Jesus is not even using the terms to their fullest extent. This is a whole different term that he's using here to take away. Because some will take this and say, well, then you can lose your salvation, right? Like if he can take it away, well, how are you connected and all? And then it gets all complicated. And that's where I'm saying, that's not the heart of Jesus behind this text. The heart is dependence on him. And this dependence comes through Christ pruning. What he takes away and that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. How does Jesus prune our lives. And what is the point of pruning? Well, you may not know this, but I am not really an agricultural kind of guy. So I Googled, what is the purpose of pruning? And this says this pruning is the idea of removing any portion that has disease or fungi or other types of decay, stopping it from spreading to healthier branches. Removing these branches, taking them away, can also expose others to more sunlight and air circulation, which also helps to reduce the incidence of disease and encourages fruit production. So how does Jesus come into our life and prune our lives and take away things that are hindering our dependence on him that leads to growth in our life? Well, he does it through what I would say in James chapter one is through trials. Listen to how James put it. Count it all joy, my brothers, 
when you meet trials of various kinds of different shapes and sizes. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So how does Christ prune our lives? He prunes our lives through trials in our lives. As he comes in and begins to clean out our dead part, our old man, he's making room for new growth in our lives. And he often will do that through difficult times. He'll often do that through trials in our lives. One person put it this way, God's agenda in our lives is not for our comfort, but for our fruitfulness. So he sends us through trials, not because he wants to make us more comfortable, but maybe in a way to make us uncomfortable so that we'll produce fruit in our lives. And he does that through verse two, through this pruning process. And so if you find yourself in trials today, if you find yourself going through a difficult time today, see that as Christ pruning in your life, as this relationship that you have with him, he's doing this in your life to produce more dependence on him, which will lead to more fruit in your life. Doesn't tri- don't trials do that for us often? Trials either push us into Christ or away from Christ. You've walked with people who go through trials and you see that either they become more dependent on Christ or they go the opposite direction and turn from Christ, which oftentimes I think reveals that they weren't in Christ to begin with. And so this pruning that Christ does in our life comes through him trials and through him working in our heart and life. So how does dependence come in our life? Through Christ's pruning. How does dependence come in our life? Look at verses three and verse seven through God's word. He said, you already are already, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This is why I was saying to you earlier that we start with this from the perspective that these guys already have a relationship with God, right? Because there are, Jesus said, you're already clean by the word that I've spoken to you. Not necessarily this word, but the whole word that he's been speaking about, repent and believe the gospel. This is the word. And he says, you're already clean. You're already a part of the family. So you're, de- you're already depending on my word. But then look at verse uh, uh, seven. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. So how does he develop this dependence in our life? Through his word. Yes. So I think of what happened in John chapter six, Jesus feeds the 5,000. You remember that story? And the next day the people come back and they want to follow Jesus and Jesus makes the I am statement of the first one, I am the bread of life and, and they were missing the point of what he was doing and so a bunch of people leave him and John chapter six and verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you wanna go away as well? Are you gonna be like the rest of the crowd that just walked away from me? And listen to how Peter responds. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Peter is saying, we are totally dependent on your word. Yes. So who, who else are we going to go to that has the words of eternal life? In, in essence, Jesus is saying we should hang on every word that he says. We should be totally dependent on him. Yes. Think about a person in your life in your line of work or um, something that you value in your life that you want to learn more about, think about who that person would be in your life. And you, what usually happens is when we want to become better at something or grow in something, we'll go and get that person's book. We'll go out to YouTube and we'll watch that person's video so that we can know how to be better at that thing. And in essence, what we're doing is we're hanging on every word that they say. In fact, sometimes you can know the people who are hanging on every word because they begin to sound like that person they listen to on podcasts, that person that they watch on YouTube, that person that they read because they're, they, they want to grow. And so they're dependent on that person. They're farther down the journey with them. They, they, you're impressed by their success. And so you hang on every word. You're dependent on them. And this is what Jesus says we should do in our lives with his word is we should hang on every word. This is how we grow in our dependence on Christ. This is how we produce fruit is that we're in the word and we're hanging on every word that Jesus would say. Then we see that we grow in our dependence through abiding in Christ and his love. This is really the, the, the cent central topic of the text 11 times. Jesus uses this word abide. Look at verse four and five and six and, and go to verse nine. It says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, verse seven, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done to you. Verse nine, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you, abide in my love. So what is all this abiding talk? What's well, the heart of dependence? To abide is to dwell, to stay or to continue to live in. You only abide in something that you're already connected to, right? Again, this is the reason why this is from a relationship with God, not for a relationship with God. He, they're, they're abiding in him already. And so he's saying, continue to abide in me. And Jesus makes this bold claim to his disciples that apart from him, they can do nothing. Now, what is he talking about there? Is he talking apart from him, we can't get up in the morning and put our clothes on and eat breakfast and go do our job? I think the text is not saying that. What the text is saying, apart from him, we can do nothing. He's talking about producing fruit in our life. That apart from our connection to Jesus, our dependence on him, we can't produce true fruit in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. So we have to be dependent 
on him. But then Jesus makes this bold claim, not just the bold claim, but he makes a bold promise. He says, if you abide in me, and he's bringing the focus back to him, I will abide in you. James would say it this way, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. As we're dependent on Christ, as we're living in connection to Christ, Christ is gonna stay with us. He's going to abide in us. He's going to remain in us. The negative effect is found in verse six of not remaining in Christ is that it it becomes a fruitless branch and that branch is thrown away. It is useless. Then he says in verse nine, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you, abide in my love. So he's pointing to himself as the example of abiding in his father, of abiding in his father's love. He remained in his father while he was here and he is the example for us to to follow. So we're dependent upon him to abide in him. Paul would put it this way in Philippians chapter one and verse 21. For to me to live is Christ. That's what it means to abide in Christ. Paul said, my life is so influenced by Christ that everything is about him. For to me to live is Christ. In Philippians chapter four, Paul sort of reiterates this same idea and it's March Madness time. So sometimes these verses pop up in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? Guys put that on their shoes or quote it in these moments. But in reality, in the context is, Paul is saying that we can do all things through Christ in moments that life's good and in moments when life's bad in moments when everything is going as planned and in moments when your world is collapsing around you. That's what he's saying when he's saying, I can do all things through Christ. It's that I'm continuing to live through his strength. This is why Paul would often say, when I'm weak, he's strong. This is what it means to abide in Christ. Dependence comes through continuing to live in and through Christ. Would your life be characterized as being lived through Christ? Are are you so dependent on him that when people look at your life, the fruit that comes out of it is just from this dependence on Christ, this remaining, this continuing to live in him. The last way that I I see dependence comes in our life is through obedience to Christ. Look at verse 10 and verse 14. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide or remain in my love. Just as I, again, getting the focus off of us and back onto him, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Then look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. So what, who is the focus of our obedience? It's our connection to Christ. Just like he was obedient to his father, so we too can be obedient and depend on Christ and that will produce the right fruit in our lives. He says, if you are my friends, you do what I command you 
to do. He's saying obedience marks, doesn't make, it marks the life of Jesus' friends. That there is obedience to him. The obedience that he's talking about in this context is that we love one another. Amen. Dependence comes through our obedience to Christ's command to love one another. When I'm obedient to Christ, I am showing my dependence on Christ. Now this obedience word can oftentimes be hijacked in a world of legalism, in a world of religion. Because obedience becomes almost a, um, a pain. Right? To be obedient to Christ becomes almost like a drudgery. Like I have to go to church today, right? Like I have to be kind to other people. Like I have to love my enemies. I have, right? It becomes, if, if, if it's about legalism, it becomes almost a, a chore. Is it, yeah, thanks. That's a good word, a chore, right? I, I think about, I grew up in a legalistic world. And so you're, Levels of obedience was defined by what you didn't and did where. Your levels of obedience to Christ were defined by what music you listened to and what music you didn't listen to. Your levels of obedience were defined by how many church services you went to throughout the week, right? And, and so obedience became almost this, I'm trying to check boxes, right, so that God is pleased with me rather than obedience flowing from a relationship with God. Rather than doing the things, gathering with believers, being in the word, praying, being kind, coming from this loving relationship with Christ that I'm already in. It, think about it in this way. Ruth and I will be married for 20 years in, in May, by God's grace for sure. And when I think about our marriage, I think about the fact that there are certain things that I obey in the context of my marriage. A couple of things is one, I don't date women in the context of my marriage. And I don't flirt with women in the context of my marriage, right? Now we laugh at that because that's almost, it's comical that you would say that in the context of a loving relationship. Then, but my question is then why when it comes to obedience to Christ does it become such a drudgery for us to obey him? It, it should almost be just like our marriages where I do those things because I'm in a loving relationship with my wife and it just, I wanna keep that relationship strong. The same thing should be in true with our relationship with Christ. Amen. Is that our obedience is just dependence on him. It is just saying, Lord, I want to do this, not because I have to do this, but I want to do this because this just shows my dependence on you. I want to gather with other believers because I want you to know that I know that I need other people in my life. I want to gather and put myself under the authority of God's word because I want you to know that I don't, think I've got it all together and that I'm my final authority. I know that your word is the final authority. Yes, say that. 
I want to be kind to people and I want to be forgiving towards people, not because it's a chore and I have to do it in order for God to be pleased with me, but because I'm in a loving relationship with you and the natural thing for me to do is to be kind to people because you've been kind to me. The natural thing for me to do is to be forgiving because you've been forgiving to me. And all of this comes back to our connection to Christ, our dependence on him. A fruitful Christian life comes through dependence on the vine and the farmer or on the vine and the vine dresser, Christ and God. The result then of this fruitful Christian life is joy. Look at verse 11. So this dependence leads to joy. Here's what he says. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So the fruitful Christian life comes through dependence. We've seen that in the text. Now we see that dependence leads to this joy. We understand that joy is different than happiness. Happiness is tied to our circumstances, right? And so things that go on in our lives, our happiness can go up and down. We have good days and bad days. Joy is a whole separate bag. Joy is confidence that Jesus is greater and more satisfying than anything this world has to offer. That's what true joy is. And so Jesus is saying, your dependence on me leads to this confidence that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. It gives you this inner confidence, this joy in your life. You see, joy doesn't come through the right mate. Joy doesn't come through the right bank account. Joy doesn't come through the right job. Joy doesn't come in our lives through going to the right school. Joy comes from dependence on Christ. If you want to have joy in your life, it is in your connection, your dependence on Christ. Here's what I love that Jesus does here when he says, that my joy, he's, he's already given us his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now he's, he's given us last week his peace. Now he's giving us his joy. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Here's the word picture. You have a bucket that is full of water. You take a sponge and you submerge the sponge in the water. When you pull the sponge out of the water, what's gonna fall off the sponge? Water, why? Because it was immersed in the water. It is full of water. How do we get joy in our lives? As we are dependent on Christ, we're submerged in him. And when we come out, we're dripping with joy. We're dripping with confidence. That's what it means to be full of joy is that we've submerged our life in Christ. We're totally dependent on him. So when we pull that sponge out, joy is just the natural thing that comes out of the inside of us because we've been so dependent on him. His joy comes through in our lives. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5 and verse 22. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love and what? Joy. As we're dependent on Christ, one of the things that comes out of our life, the fruit of our branches is joy. Dependence leads to joy through four different things we see in here. First, answered prayer. Look at verse seven and verse 16. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Look look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. So this dependence leads to joy and this joy comes through answered prayer. Now, this is not Jesus giving an a la carte kind of ask anything you want and you're gonna get it. This is not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, right, that Jesus is after here. This is Jesus saying, as you're connected to me, the fruit that's gonna come in your life is this joy. And one of it, it's because when you pray, you're gonna ask for things that are consistent with who I am because it's who you're connected to. And so when you're praying, it's not just about me, 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 give me more stuff. It is about, I want the fruit of Christ to be evident in my life. And so I begin to pray that way for things in my life, as opposed to being self-centered in my life. That's why he's saying, whatever you ask in my father, in my father, in my name, I'll give it to you. Is he saying, because you're so dependent on me, the prayers that you pray are going to be answered because they're in line with my will, because you're dependent upon me. This is joy coming out in our lives. Look at verse eight. Joy not only comes out through answered prayer, it comes out through the glorification of God. He says this, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. He's saying the father will be glorified. He's being made much of in your life. That that is evidence of Christ's work in your life and your dependence on him is that God is going to be glorified. And that brings us great joy when God is glorified. And so when you think about the fruit in your life, does it bring you glory or does it bring God glory? If it's bringing you glory, then it's probably not true connected fruit to Christ because the fruit that Christ will produce in our lives, it doesn't point to us, it points to the vine that is producing the fruit in our life. That's who gets the glory is the vine. And so he says, my father is gonna be glorified when you're dependent on me because it leads to this joy and this joy is that God gets the glory. Then verses 14 and 15, this is just an incredible gift that God gives us. He says this, you are my friends, verse 14, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the father in my name, 
he may give it to you. Here's an incredible realization of our dependence that leads to joy is that we become friends of God. Amen. Isn't that incredible? Yes. That you and I could be a friend of God. Because we know ourselves. I don't want to be my own friend. You know what I'm saying? And so the fact that God would say, you're my friends, is incredible. This is dependence leading to joy through being a friend of God. Think about if you could meet anyone in all of history and be their friend, who would it be? Like as you read books on history, as you study people, who would be that person? That it's like, if I could go back, or even in current culture, if I could just be a friend with that person, I think that would be pretty cool. That person that comes to your mind is small in compared to the God of the universe saying, you are my friend. I chose you, Ephesians 1 says, before the foundations of the world that you would be my friend. That should humble every one of us in the room and it should cause joy to well up in our hearts which should cause us to be more dependent on him. Then he says in verses 12 and 17 that this Dependence leads to joy through loving relationships. Jesus always brings it from vertical to horizontal. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another. How do we do that, Jesus? As I have loved you. He is our example. He's the one we have to be connected to in order to love each other well. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you love one another. Dependence leads to joy through being a part of the family of God. Is that we, as we're seeking to be obedient to Christ and loving him by loving each other, it creates this, I'm loving you, you loving me, and this brings joy in our hearts as we love each other. So dependence leads to joy through loving relationships. This is the importance of community. You were not designed to do life alone. God designed you for community. That's why he always goes from the vertical to the horizontal. That's why he always says, it always comes down to, to us looking eyeball to eyeball to each other, right? This is why in the Garden of Eden, he looked at man and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper, fit for him. What was he after? Community there. Yes, it was about marriage, but it was pointing us to the church that he would put together and that we would need each other. And joy comes in loving relationships because we're dependent on him to love each other. This is John chapter 15 verses one through 17, that a fruitful Christian life comes through dependence and that dependence leads to joy. 
Now, I want you to picture with me that you and I, we finish the message today. We go out, grab a bite to eat. It's a beautiful day today. And we're going to go on a walk and we're going to go up to Happy Rock Park and walk the trail together. And you and me are just going to walk and talk. And because I'm a pastor, we're going to talk about the message that I talked about today. And I'm going to just ask you some questions for you to consider as we're walking, as you're thinking about and processing the sermon today, here here would be maybe some questions I would ask you as we were walking at Happy Rock Park. I would ask you the question first, are you a Christian? Remember John 15 comes with the context of you're already connected to Christ. So I don't wanna talk about fruit and all that kind of stuff if you're not even connected because that's just religion, that's legalism. I want to start with Are you a Christian? Are you connected to Christ? If you're not today, I would invite you, and as we would walk and talk, I would invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's the most life-giving thing you can do is to just throw yourself on Christ and say, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, and you're the man then you're connected to the vine. If you are a Christian, are you dependent on Christ? Does that mark your life dependence? Or does the phrase, you've got it all together, really mark your life more? Like they don't need anything in their life. Or when people see your life, do they know that you're dependent on Christ? Are you resisting his pruning? Are you the one that's turning away from Christ as he's pruning your life rather than pushing into him and and abiding in him, being more connected? You're actually running from the nourishment. You're becoming useless because you're, you're going away from Christ. Are you spending time in the word? That shows you're, if, if I'm not spending time in the word and I don't get to it every day, right? Even as a pastor, I don't get to it every day. But if I'm not constantly or continually making that a discipline in my life, what I find is I'm saying to Christ, I don't need you. I don't need your word, man. I, I get all, Steve will talk about it on Sunday and that's enough. And that's not enough. This is far from enough. Are you living your life through Christ? Are you being obedient to Christ? If you are dependent on Christ, then I would ask you this. Are you allowing the joy of Christ to fill you? Are you dripping with the joy of Christ? When people see your life, do they see an inner confidence in the fact that God is good and he's totally satisfying, even if nothing else goes my way the rest of my life? I think we see this through questions like, do you see answered prayer? in your life? Is God being glorified through your fruit? Do you see your relationship with God as a friendship or a dictatorship? Is God a friend or is he a dictator to you? I think that says a lot about the joy that fills our hearts. And then I would ask you this, are you involved in a loving relationship with other believers. 
Do you have other believers that are speaking into your life? Are you loving one another? You, 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 this is important, but you can't really love one another here. We have to get into smaller groups and get to know people on a way that we can truly love one another. Father, thank you for your word today. And uh, I'm grateful for how you work in our lives. And I just think about the fact, you know, if we were walking and praying, which is one of my favorite things to do is to walk and to pray because I think better on my feet anyways. If I was walking and praying with our church family, I'd, I would just pray that for the person that doesn't know you, that's not connected to you, that today would be the day of their salvation. That they would stop fighting for independence from you and they would just surrender their life to you. And for those, Lord, that have surrendered their life to you, they are a Christian, I pray, Lord, that you would help them to grow in their dependence on you that's the whole heart of abiding is that we become more and more dependent on you. And you do that through your pruning and you, you do that through your word. You do that through telling us to live, as Paul said, to live is, is Christ. You do that through obedience to you, that when you tell us to do something from your word, we, we do it. Not, not because you're a dictator in our lives that is telling us what to do and we have to do it, but we do it because you have created us as your friends. And so as a friend, as a loving relationship, I, I get to do what you tell me to do. And for those that are dependent on you, I pray that joy would just drip off of their lives. I pray that in our homes and in our workplaces, in our schools, that there would just be a sense of inner confidence in you that even if the world is falling around us, even if things aren't going as we had originally planned, that there's a sense of confidence that you're better than anything this world could ever offer us. So Lord, do that work in our hearts today. Draw us to yourself. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.